Welcome to Heard This, the All Things Music podcast. Each week we'll discover and explore a music-related oddity, from conspiracy theories to hidden song meanings, artist histories, lyrical references, and all the drama in between. As an artist, you know you've become respected when someone else wants to cover your song an influencer, if you like, of the music world. Sometimes these cover versions become more popular than the original, and the artist that wrote them fades into obscurity. Today on Heard This, we're going to share the stories of some of the most well-known covers with you, along with a few of our favourites. This isn't going to be one of those bet-you-didn't-know-this-was-a-cover lists. Oh no, but we may unearth a few surprises along the way. If you think about it, cover versions of songs existed way before the invention of recorded music and such concepts as songwriting credits and royalties. Hymns belted out in churches every week, orchestras replicating a composer's work and sometimes adding their own fresh take, and all the nursery rhymes and traditional folk songs that have been passed down from generation to generation, grandmother to granddaughter, father to son. It was with the invention of the phonograph and the growth of recorded music in the late 19th and early 20th centuries, however, that things changed. From then on, it mattered whether you were copying someone else's music as they owned the rights. It was difficult, however, as a lot of early recorded music came from traditional folk or blues songs that had existed for decades or even centuries. Some of this music would morph into a new form in the 50s, however, rock and roll. To ride the wave and cash in on the new youth movement in the 1950s, it was common for many bands to copy each other's songs, to the point where it was almost impossible sometimes to know who had written a track or performed it first. I for one couldn't tell you but a bunch of these. Take the song Hound Dog, for example. Most of you, I'm guessing, will be familiar with Elvis's version, released in 1956, which is far and away the most popular but a great number of artists in the 50s and beyond have covered it, including Chubby Checker, Gene Vincent, Jerry Lee Lewis, Little Richard, Jimi Hendrix, John Lennon, Van Morrison and Eric Clapton. These were all derived from the Elvis version of the song, but the original was written by two young chaps in 1952 named Jerry Lieber and Mike Stoller for the R&B singer Big Mama Thornton. If you listen to her version, it sounds very different, both lyrically and in tempo. Hound Dog was so popular following its release that other artists jumped on it, including those in the burgeoning rock and roll genre, creating a myriad of copycat versions, parodies, and what became known as answer songs, tracks that were inspired by or spun from a different point of view as a reaction to a particular song. One of these cover artists was a band called Frankie Bell and the Bell Boys, who just so happened to be performing on the Las Vegas Strip when a certain Elvis was in town. He, of course, caught the show and was inspired by their version to create his own. So popular was Elvis's version, though, that people forgot about the original, and it was quite sad to find out that Big Mama Thornton never actually saw much money from the song. Funnily enough, Lieber and Stoller went on to work with Elvis and wrote many of his biggest tunes, including Jailhouse Rock. But when pushed from questioning, the Joe had to admit that they didn't like what he did with Hound Dog. 
Another big hit for Elvis was Blue Suede Shoes, which, until writing this episode, I thought actually was his. But alas, no, this one is also a cover. The original by Carl Perkins actually did better than Elvis's at the time, reaching number two on the American charts. It's a little slower and more melodic, and on reflection, I actually prefer it. The song's genesis came after Johnny Cash, who was touring with Perkins and Elvis at the time, told Perkins a story about a former Air Force sergeant he'd served under in Germany, and one time who ordered him not to step on his blue suede shoes when he was dressing in his military best. This story stuck with Perkins, and he awoke in the middle of the night with inspiration and had to get the song down. He couldn't find any paper to jot it down with, though, so he had to use a potato sack. I wonder if this potato sack still exists. I'm sure someone would pay silly money for it. Anyway, Elvis's cover version gained the popularity it did because poor Carl Perkins couldn't promote the track after he'd recorded it. He was involved in a traffic collision that killed his brother and left him with serious injuries, such that he was unable to perform. Elvis took advantage of this, and as such, his version gained significant airplay across America and the world. Before we leave the 50s behind, I would just like to mention Johnny B. Good. This little rock and roll masterpiece by Chuck Berry is one of the most covered songs of all time. The Beatles, Grateful Dead, Sex Pistols and Johnny Winter are amongst some of them. But my favourite version, apart from Martin McFly's and Back to the Future, is the cover by the late, great Peter Tosh. In 1983, he changed this setting from New Orleans to Mandeville, Jamaica, and gave it a real reggae groove, adapting the original to incorporate the styles of his genre. I personally think this is when cover versions work the best, when they sound quite far removed from the source material, and sometimes by the artists you wouldn't have expected. Some notable favourites of mine include Italian metal band Lacuna Coil's version of R.E.M.'s Losing My Religion, and, to be fair, their version of Depeche Mode's Enjoy the Silence, come to think of it. Scarpunk band Real Big Fish's Take on Take on Me, the Aha 80s synth classic. And as much as I'm aware that no one can touch Frankie Valley, I really like Flo Morrissey and Matthew E. White's low-key version of the title track from Greece. It just goes down really well with a hoppy beer and a dirty burger which incidentally I was consuming when I first heard the track. Some cover versions have become so popular that they have eclipsed the original. An obvious case is the late Amy Winehouse's cover of the Zootons' Valerie, although given the amount of airplay it still gets, I don't think the Zootons will care that much. They'll just hear the kachink of pennies hitting their piggy banks. Now, I have no shame in admitting that Dancing in the Moonlight is one of my favourite songs, I'm not talking about the Thin Lizzy one, by the way. I mean the one made famous by Top Loader around the turn of the millennium. I just think it's a great, upbeat tune that oozes positive vibes, much like the house party in the music video. That's my kind of night. Most people are probably aware that Top Loader's song isn't the original, that it was released by King Harvest in 1973. This version bombed in Europe, which is probably why a lot of people this side of the pond haven't heard it but the story behind the track is actually a little more complicated. King Harvest were gifted the song by Wells Kelly, who came to visit the band during a recording session in Paris, but it was Wells' brother Sherman that had actually penned it for his band Boffo Longo, which to me just sounds like some kind of tropical fruit drink. Sherman wrote the song after being attacked by locals in the Caribbean and almost left for dead. 
Whilst he was recovering from his injuries, he wrote Dancing in the Moonlight, where he envisioned an alternative reality where he could celebrate, quote, the dream of a peaceful and joyous celebration of life, where presumably no one got shanked or beaten to a pulp. Another example of a cover people might be more familiar with, particularly if you live in the UK and have seen a Gillette advert aimed at women, is the Bananarama version of the song Venus, which was actually a hit for Dutch rock group Shocking Blue in the late 60s. I actually prefer their version of Venus, and they've got some other decent tunes too. Weird fact about this one, though, is that when Shocking Blue first translated Venus from Dutch into English, they misspelled the first line, so that instead of a goddess on a mountain top, it's actually a godness. Have a listen. Once you hear it, it sticks with you. Also, the distinctive riff is actually ripped from the Who's Pinball Wizard. There are always more layers than you think. Also, speaking of originals that are better, I'm going to be pretty niche here and mention the song Self Control, as made famous by Laura Branigan. It's an 80s pop banger that was created originally by Italian composer and singer Raffaele Rifoli. I've probably said that wrong. Sorry to all Italians listening. Anyway, he was better known as Raff. Raff's synth disco ballad was somehow my most played song on Spotify of 2021. I say somehow. It's because I listen to it a lot, obviously. I do think it's an overlooked mid-80s gem, though. More people should check Raff out. A few years before Self Control was released, British synth-pop duo Soft Cell had a massive hit with Tainted Love. It's no doubt that it's a banger held on an episode of Doctor Who, where Christopher Eccleston takes Rose to the end of the world. This is the tune that kicks off the party. But Tainted Love actually had its origins as a Gloria Jones single B-side, released in 1964. Jones' soul version is also a decent bop, but for ages it was considered a deep cut, until the song became a staple on the UK Northern Soul circuit in the 70s. This revamp was produced by her boyfriend Mark Boland of T-Rex fame, but then in a tragic twist of fate, it was Jones that was behind the wheel in the car crash that claimed Boland's life a year later. The incident devastated Gloria, and sadly her career never recovered. After that downbeat note, though, before we wrap things up for this week, I do want to give a shout-out to Australian radio station Triple J's feature called Like A Version. Check it out on YouTube, or there is a dedicated playlist on Spotify. They've had some big names of the alternative music scene into the studio, cranking out some wacky and inventive cover versions of well-known songs. Some of them sound only a passing resemblance to the original. A couple of my favourites are Art vs. Science's version of Enter Sandman by Metallica and Hermitude and Jaguar Johns's cover of Nirvana's Heart-Shaped Box. That's about all we have time for in this episode, but if you'd like to check out and compare the tracks that we've been discussing today, there is a link to a playlist on our website, heardthispodcast at castos.com. There are, of course, many, many more songs that we could have explored. Did anything surprise you this week? Do you have a favourite cover version that we didn't mention? Or is there an original that has become lost in the depths of history that everyone should really hear? Please do share these and any other interesting facts you have on the Facebook or Instagram posts for this episode. You can find us at Heard This Podcast. Join us next week for an exploration of another music-related oddity. 
heard this is an All Things Music podcast, created, written and produced by Lee Cromwell and me, Sean Davis.